This is episode number 134 with Stefan Gotthardt from Teva Pharmaceuticals. Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network. Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. Well, it might be a new year and we might have left the worst behind us, but one thing is for sure, disruptions are here to stay and we're looking at another year filled with uncertainty. How would you navigate the various demand and supply side issues the pandemic brought about in the last few years with the knowledge you have now? I don't know, some of you will no doubt be thinking, I wouldn't change a thing. But I bet there's a lot of you who would change quite a few things, starting with perhaps how you address the issues in your upstream supply chain. Well, in this episode, I'm interested to hear Stefan's reflections on how the supply chain industry fared over the past few years and his personal learnings from the whole experience. We're also going to be discussing the importance of creating robust risk management strategies to address future sourcing and production issues, and ones that don't involve safety stock, but rather lean on building flexibility and utilizing reactive capacity. For those of you that don't know this, Stefan is a supply chain champion. He has over two decades of experience in supply chain, with the last five years spent at Teva Pharmaceuticals as SVP Europe Supply Chain. In this role, he's responsible for product supply from the European Manufacturing Network to Europe, US, and international markets, as well as third-party customers. Stefan's pharma background will no doubt give us a unique perspective, and I'm eager to find out more. So, let's get started. Hi, Stefan. Thank you so much for joining us here in Transform Talks. Good morning. My pleasure. So, you know what, Stefan? I mean, there's so much to talk to you about. There's been so much going on. We're at the start of a new year. Um, maybe let's go back and talk about what the last two years has looked like for you, you know, for you in your, in your role. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I mean, we have certainly spent some time in the last few days and weeks to reflect a bit on, on our experiences, lessons learned, and what uh, can we take away to make 2022 um, a, better, a better year. And, and it's, it's kind of in, interesting. Um, when we, when we look back uh, and realize that actually 2020, when COVID uh, started, 2020 has not really been our COVID year, if you will, um, mm -hmm. not from a supply perspective, nor from a sales perspective. Um, it was all too, all too new and, and um, there were some hiccups, certainly, but at the end of the day, we managed our business uh, quite nicely. 2020 was a bit of a sort of an anomaly, wasn't it? It was a big crisis. Okay, fine. We deal with it and then we just carry on. It wasn't sort of the new normal that is now. That was 2021, 2022, right? So don't get me wrong. We, we are not ignoring that uh, there was a huge COVID crisis in 2020 where many, many um, uh, functions, people, companies, sectors of the industry were not prepared for. Mm -hmm. I'm, just, I'm just saying from a business perspective, our business was not so much impacted mm -hmm. in, uh, 20, in 2020. And you can also read this from the earnings call and the official documentation. But I was trying to say then with that kind of optimism, uh, the end of 2020, we went into 2021 with, with, with very positive and, 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 and excited and encouraging yeah. assumptions. And that then 
did not did not materialize. So from a from from that perspective, I mean, because the crisis was not over, right? It it it, it were even surprised by by the next waves, whether it's two or three, two, three, and four, whatever the counting is. But um, 2021 was really the year from a business, from a sales perspective, where we were super, super struggling. And mm -hmm. um, we had to correct our assumptions. We had to correct our, our financial expectations. And uh, we had to report this in all the earnings calls that we have gone through um, quarter by quarter by quarter. So at the end of the day, we, we seem to have come, come, come in quite nicely. I mean, we don't have the official numbers yet, but mm -hmm. um, it, it, it kind of looks okay. But it was definitely a roller coaster for the whole organization with very positive um, uh, expectations in the beginning and then more realistic ones as we as we went uh, as we went as we went along. So I would I always call it was kind of a roller coaster year for us 20, uh, 2021. And 2022 now from a business from a sales perspective seems to be okay and realistic again when we look at the numbers. But our main concerns, like anybody, everybody else concerned, is related to supply supply security. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, at the, at the 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 pandemic certainly gave us two major shocks, right? Which was supply and demand fluctuations and uncertainty. Uh, so I think now, 2022, we still have a lot of those concerns. Um, can I ask you? I mean, what? How do you think supply chain in general? Um, you know, fared in, in the last couple of years, you know, the, the, the whole concept of supply chain, if you think about two, three years ago, not a lot of people spoke about supply chain other than those of us in the industry, but now it's mainstream. So in general, what's your feeling about how supply chain is done in the last couple of years? Yeah, it's maybe also um, a semantic and educational um, mm -hmm. improvement um, in a company like ours um, with, with, um, complex network, uh, a complex portfolio, and an international setup, supply chain has always been an important, an important function at the, in the center of, of the whole you know, communication. Um, much, much stronger, by the way, um, as I have experienced it personally, in previous companies, I either have worked for myself or I have consulted with because I wasn't consulting in the past. Um, supply chain is, has quite a strong um, reputation in uh, this company, but it certainly increased its, um, its importance and relevance for the success of the business in the, last, in the last few years. I agree with you. One of the other things that I keep hearing is that the pandemic, to a certain degree, exposed a lot of vulnerabilities in the supply chain in general. Again, I'm not talking specifically about your supply chain or anyone else's, but in general. What do you think of that statement? Um, it's, it, it's absolutely true. I mean, um, those vulnerabilities um, um, have not been assessed really thoroughly in the past. Mm -hmm. um, globalization, globalization was basically driven by by cost, by cost, in, by cost yeah. improvements. Um, international transportation was not really considered as a risk because nobody. Not not too many people. Nobody is probably wrong, but not too many people thought this could present a real a real um, constraint and 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 uh, kind of danger to um, to our to our supply and especially in a generics pharmaceutical business um, you are under enormous cost pressure much much more than a branded pharmaceutical companies so are always looking 
for for cost for cost for cost improvements. Now, fortunately, I think um, our company has done this um, with some you know sense of caution. I would I would say the majority of my products my products means products that we sell in Europe are being produced in Europe. Um, mm -hmm. And the majority of the active ingredients that we use for those products are produced in Europe. So it's not that we are not depending on supply from, from outside of Europe that either goes by air or by, or by sea where we don't have containers any longer in Europe. Um, I mean, in Asia to Europe, we, they are all sitting in Europe somewhere. Um, so we have some dependencies, but it's, it, it's not as significant as we know other companies are depending on supply from Asian countries specifically. Yeah, that makes sense. What, what, what are the biggest learnings that you've had in the past year? We have focused, um, in the last few years, we have focused a lot on improving our capabilities to forecast our sales. So we do statistical forecasting. We are experimenting. I mean, it, it's, it's more than experimenting in the meantime with machine learning, artificial intelligence to be able to project um, seasonalities and all these and all these and all these kind of things. We have a very nice forecast accuracy um, despite the pandemic in the last in the last two years. So we have made good progress. That has been our focus. What we need to be doing with a similar intensity and uh, and effort is um, applying artificial intelligence machine learning capabilities to assess supply risks in the you know in the multi-stage supply chain uh, that we have that's a big learning to make our supply our supply network uh, more resilient and more reliable more robust um, going forward and and what do you think are the biggest inhibitors or the biggest blockages to implementing this kind of digital supply network? Data, <laughs> data, data availability, and um, and 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 creativity, creativity to design potential risks. I mean, I, I have used this example in the past, and maybe others have done so as well. But who would have ever thought? That at some at some point, um, one of the biggest container ships in the world would block the Suez mm. Channel, and yeah. that interrupts supply to Europe for a period of, at the end of the day, three uh, three uh, th uh, th uh, three months. Not because of the stuff that was sitting on that boat, but because of the of the queue that accumulated be uh, behind that blocked channel. And um, so that's the creativity, I think, uh, in order to design, define, and design risks. And to model those risks in a in a uh, in a supply chain in a supply chain model. But you know what? Everybody keeps talking about data as though it's this big mountain or hurdle that you have to overcome. But yet, a lot of companies are sitting on a lot of data. So I don't think it's the necessarily the availability of data. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it's sort of the way companies implement a, a data mindset within their organizational culture to, to take advantage of that data and be actually having processes in place to ensure that data is, uh, is used correctly. Don't you think? I absolutely, I absolutely, absolutely agree. I think, um, might be even, um, overwhelmed with, um, the amount of data we have and, um, how to slice and dice them, 
in 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 a sensible way to make to make best use of it. You know, I'm kind of known for like you know very simple uh, and oversimplifying examples, but mm-hmm. think about what people have in their basement, and and it's a it's a hell of a lot of stuff they have. And but if they need something, they go and buy it because they don't they don't they don't find it. And mm-hmm. I think it's a bit similar to data. Well, I think it's to go to continue to use your example. It's it's um it's a very difficult feeling or it's a, t- you know, it's, it's a, come on, I'm lost for words, but it's one of those feelings where you actually, it's overwhelming. That's the word I was looking for. It's overwhelming to have to go dig into your basement amongst all of the junk that you've got to try to find the one piece of whatever data in this case that you need. Right. So I think you're absolutely right. It means that we, we have this shiny new object syndrome as, as someone else I was pit- talking to the other day was, uh, was saying, we then go out and buy new technology or new, we, you know, we implement new processes to try to drive better business um, models. But at the end of the day, we're sitting on the information, we're sitting on all of it. So then we, we go into this vicious cycle, spending more money on new technology, spending more money on new processes uh, without addressing the underlying issue that we've got, which is this data sitting in our basement. Now, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's um, a, good, a good part of the story, but I, I, still, I still think um, that in order to model a supply chain and the need and the levers to become, you know, the means to become um, resilient and all these kinds of things, Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a matter of um, being able, I called it being creative, um, to identify, to, to come up with potential, potential risks. So think about some of the products that um, some companies um, supply from India, for example, because of Indian pharmaceutical suppliers. Mm-hmm. And that has been the most stable supply for the longest time. And then as the crisis began, the the Indian government restricted um, the export of those of those of those products. That has not been part of any of any risk assessment. Apparently, otherwise we would not have created, uh, or otherwise that would not have caused um, a broad yeah. stock out across um, 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 across Europe. The same the same with the containers, right? So who would have thought, like two years ago, that it's going to be cheaper? To build new sea freight containers in China, then to ship empty ones from Europe back to China because there are no goods that are being shipped to uh, to uh, to China. These that's the kind of creativity, and these are the kind of risks, if you will, that impact our supply chain that are very difficult to model because they are unheard of. There's no ex- there's no experience. It's the unpredictability element. You know, how do you predict the unpredictable? which is really what we're, what we're, we've been dealing with in the last couple of years. But the problem is, Stefan, is that from what I keep hearing, we are entering the era of, or we are in the era of this crazy volatility and crazy unpredictability. So I think, so what are the traits that supply chain leaders need to have? What are the skill sets that they need to have in-house in order to function with this crazy irrationality and volatility? I think it is... It is to learn how to how to react to the things that you cannot predict. Um, yeah. And when it comes to supply, it is not inventory that we should have. That's one of our discussions with 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 um, with other companies as well. So, in order to be prepared for 
the next pandemic, whatever it's going to be and whenever it's going to come, it's not to increase our level of inventory and safety stock and all these kind of things. It is to understand our supply chain, to develop risk management business continuity plans, to um, have alternative supply and suppliers um, and opportunities and all these and all these uh, kind of things. So becoming flexible and reactive, it was used to be called agile. Um, mm -hmm. I think that is what's important for for those who lead supply chain, but also for those who are part of a supply chain. It's not only supply chain people. It's the yeah. it's the it's the manufacturing sites. It's the it's the external suppliers. It's everybody in who's dealing with logistics and transportation. So the whole setup needs to develop a kind of a mindset of um, reactivity and flexibility. Well, do you also think that perhaps? you know, how there are companies that have layers and layers of, you know, different types of vendors and partners and suppliers leads to an element of complexity that then creates limited visibility. Yeah, I think that's the way uh, it currently it currently is. And now I think the underlying question is, do we do we want to go back and change that completely so that everybody does everything they need for themselves and in-house, or do we do we manage the setup in a in a in a kind of flexible flexible way? And I think it's the latter one. So we'll not mm. be able to change the whole supplies and network setup that um, that we have currently built um, in in one in one in one go. I think we make we can make adjustments. Some companies make adjustments and bring supply back um, from um, Asian countries and other countries back to Europe, for example, or North America. Um, but it, that cannot be the only the only solution because it's costly, it takes too long, and, yeah. and sometimes te technically it's not even possible anymore. It's so heavy on the CapEx, on the investment side. Yeah. If you have given given up on complex technologies to 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 rebuild them, that's almost it's almost impossible. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not suggesting that we only focus on reshoring or that we you know go from X number of of suppliers to Y number of smaller suppliers. What what I I think is needed is more visibility. You know, is getting that sort of understanding of the complexity within the supply chain to get that visibility. Because if you think about it, one thing that we know for sure is that in the story of humanity, crisis has always been a good learning for all of us. You know, during crisis, we have always been able to find ways to adjust and adapt. So isn't this a good opportunity for all supply chain leaders to question their previous working models or business models and look at finding ways to build that agility, to build that flexibility and to build, you know, the possibility of maybe not predicting the unpredictable, but at least weathering the unpredictable. No, I, I fully, I fully agree with you. Some, some, somebody famous uh, said, "Never waste a good crisis," and mm -hmm. I think um, that's 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 that, that, that that's exactly um, how we should how we should look at it. And that's why I said in the beginning of our of our conversation, um, we look back at what happened in 2021 and 2020. And and uh, and take the learnings um, into you know different setup um, into our approach for 2022 and beyond. What let's talk a little bit about 2022 as before we run out of time or even the future. What excites you about supply chain or about tech or about um, I don't know the next couple of years. 
the new challenges that we are going to have that we need to be prepared for um, and and um, how we look at our supply network. And I, I, I use the kind of buzzwords I'm usually using in the context already. So flexibility, responsiveness, um, how can we become more flexible, more reactive to our to our customer needs? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, irrespective of what the crisis is and what the origin is and, and what the impact is, we have hundreds of millions of patients we are, we are serving every day and we need to continue doing so. And the patient couldn't care less, um, um, you know, when we say, you know, it, we, we, we would have liked to supply you with whatever life-saving drug we have, but unfortunately, um, we had a breakdown in our supply chain. So how can we make our supply chain more robust and, and less impacted by whatever crisis is going to come? So it's, it's how do we model? How do we build um, alternative sourcing? How do we build risk management plans? And all these kind of things. That is, that's a completely different magnitude that we have to deal, magnitude of challenges, I think, and, and expectations with regard to preparedness than what we ever have been dealing with. Completely agree. So Stefan, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for being on Transform Talks, talking to us, and uh, no doubt we'll, uh, we'll catch you again very soon. Great. Um, thanks for the conversation. Enjoyed it very much. And um, I'll be, be very glad to be with you at the uh, next opportunity. Wonderful. And for those of you listening, we'll catch you at the next one. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.